Hello and welcome to an open special edition of the From the Clubhouse podcast. We've had a couple of weeks off, you're about to find out why, and we're taking a departure from our normal line of conversation to discuss all things Open Championship. It's Monday morning, we're sat in the ginormous media centre at Royal Liverpool, aka Hall Lake. We're all very excited. I'm joined by my regular co-host Steve Carroll. Hello Tom. I wonder what the reasons you're going to provide for our our enforced absence apart from us not doing it. Well, I think there's several reasons for our enforced absence. Uh, I think the one we're going to discuss today is my attempts to qualify for the Open Championship and then the required recovery time from such a chastening experience. Uh, I don't know know how I feel about this, like chatting about one's personal failure to make it into the field for an event you're now supposed to be covering. It's pretty weird. It's like sort of being cuckolded. Yeah, I thought you were going to tease people for a while. Um, I had this idea that um, we'd have a headline which was something like, Tom it's the open is Tom in the field but you've kind of kiboshed that straight away really um, yes it was an adventure wasn't it um, let's let's get into it because there was there was much to discuss wasn't there not least um, my failings as a caddy um, but you were in open regional qualifying so that was first stage um, it was at Old Woodley a course where you'd hope to do well because it's your golf course you are a member there albeit you probably didn't play it off 7,000 yards every week but um I think it's fair to say that we went there with... Well, you were cautiously optimistic, actually, which is not like you at all. Um, I think that's not my reading of it, no. The, uh, so I guess, I guess there's a few things just in terms of background. So the Open qualifying is like, I don't know, there's lots of reasons that the Open is sort of unique. Uh, it's always played at links courses. It's kind of got just the amount of right amount of rotation in its venues. We're all familiar with the venues, but not over familiar. Um, it's the only time any of these people play proper links golf on the schedule. Um, but the qualifying format, I think, is like does set it apart from quite a lot of the other opens. US opens, obviously, similar. Um, so you obviously get into the Open by being a successful tour pro. You obviously get in through international qualifying. You get in through uh, your world ranking, etc., etc. I believe they let past champions in as well. Um, but they also they also have still have an entry point for sort of have a go heroes. So anyone who is professional golfer of status, so that's a club pro or any any kind of touring pro or any amateur off a scratch handicap or better is allowed to enter. Um, I've been in and around a scratch handicap for um, most of my adult life um, and I've sort of gone on record as saying that I'll always enter as long as I'm able um, I'm beginning to think this this might have been the last year that I was able um, the first thing I think is worth saying that you enter, you obviously enter the uh, Open off a particular handicap and you, your handicap of de- on day of entry gains you qualification by the time it came to actually the Open uh, I was actually off one um, that and that is re- that doesn't sound like much, but on the first tee they asked you what your exact is. Um, I did actually lie and say I was off 0.4 because <laughs> I just didn't tell them that someone had crept into the field off a off an actual handicap. Um, so did I have any sort of expectation? No. I mean, there've been years going into open qualifying before where I've like literally it's been the sort of centre point of my whole year where I've practiced all winter to try and get my game in shape for the start of June. 
Um, but this year, for one reason or another, that wasn't the case at all. There was some very hastily sort of arranged golf lessons and early morning trips to the range. But I, I wouldn't say I was in any sort of uh, any sort of mindset that I was going to qualify. You had the additional pressure of, as well of being a club member. So you had like a crowd on the first tee, um, which a lot of people didn't have. Um, your exact wasn't announced on the first tee, so I, I don't really see. I, I didn't really see the point of you lying, since the starter like is an old Woodley stalwart and would have known probably in and around what your handicap was anyway. So it's kind of kind of feels like a false dawn, really, to sort of fib about it. But anyway, you had to hit your opening shot in front of a throng of people, um, and a lot of players took an iron off the first tee at All Woodley because it's obviously a bit firm and bouncy at All Woodley Heathland course West Yorkshire in, in June it was a bit bouncy and I remember saying I remember sort of like saying to you do you want an iron and you said some words one beginning with F another beginning with T and, and pulled the big stick straight out so she- I mean, it's probably worth saying this. This podcast is sponsored by TaylorMade, so I didn't. I didn't just draw any driver. I drew the TaylorMade Stealth Two, which I'd sort of been round my houses with, trying to get the right shaft for. So again, like one of these things, like a bit like lying about your handicap, probably makes no difference whatsoever. But I really did want to get the right shaft in my driver just for peace of mind. Um, I don't think I'm sort of breaking any trade secrets to say that a lot of people low on confidence would choose driver simply because it's got the biggest head. It also takes out several different disaster shots so you can't fat a driver you can't shank a driver so you kind of like it's a process of elimination in terms of things that can go wrong really well i beg to differ because i've done both of those things with a driver um and the whole the whole playing at your home course thing like sometimes it's better the devil you know isn't it i'm not sure that really applies in terms of golf or in, certainly in terms of open qualifying um, I had my best result in open qualifying at West Lanks where in the Covid year where they had um, regional and final qualifying at the same venue and that was much better sort of away from the heat of your uh, of your own friends um, so yeah and it's it's the first tee shot like I know you're trying to qualify for one of the bil- world's biggest golf events so it shouldn't really matter so I think on the on the low expectation point, I had arrived thinking this is fine, just gonna treat it like a normal round of golf, not really bothered, not playing very well. Um I played a few holes the day before and shot three under for my five practice holes. So I kind of like thought, well, maybe maybe this will be the year that I get through. But it's I don't know whether it's just me, but you kind of hitting a few putts, the the putting green's right by the first tee, there's probably a hundred people sat on the veranda. And all of a sudden, all of the same old nerves return and you, all you can see is out of bounds. All you can see is disaster. So I think I aimed my uh, first tee shot somewhere up the 18th and lo and behold, it finished in the right rough. I mean, it, it was a little bit right, I would say this. Um, what I would say was it was firmly struck um, and it was very well played. It actually went in the bunker. Yeah, you were in the first bunker, you hit it so far, you hit it in the bunker on 18. And you had about 94 out, and you... I mean, we're not going to go through this shot by shot, right? Because it was weeks ago for a start. Can't remember them all, but I can remember this one. Um, so you had 94, and you hit it really, really well, actually. You hit it really clean, it just went back of the green. And then you three-jabbed. did, yeah. <gasps> and that... It wasn't so much the three jab, was it? It was more the sort of horrible tentative stroke on the sort of cleaning up from three and a half feet that was the problem. And it did sort of tell a story of what was to become. Anyway, I thought this was supposed to be about your caddying. I, I was trying to keep away from the elephant in the room, which was my caddying, which was something that 
elicited much comment from Tom throughout the round. Um, I did get a successful piece out of it, so it did its job. And you can read about that on nationalclubgolfer.com. I'll try and put a link to it in the show notes. But um, to say that it was eventful uh, from Tom's point of view probably isn't. I mean, I thought I did a sterling job, but, 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 Tom, but Tom had some issues with it. And, you know, I'm not going to point out my own failures. I've got Tom to do that for me. So I, I will hand over the microphone, sit quietly, let Tom make his case, and then I will hopefully refute all of his criticisms um, I don't think I don't think there's so much criticisms it's more that um, if you're kind of trying to qualify for one of the world's biggest golf events and you've asked your friend and colleague to caddy for you you sort of expect that you trying to qualify for one of the world's biggest golf events is going to be the focus of the day um, whereas Steve's sort of more treated as a chance to get his rules knowledge out at any given point um, so this sort of manifests itself on the 10th where one of our playing partners hit it in a bush all of a sudden my clubs were discarded somewhere near the middle of the fairway and Steve was off to give chapter and verse on how you take a bush drop uh, meanwhile I was stood by my ball with no laser, no caddy no clubs, thinking this was a good chance of making a birdie apart from I had literally nothing to do it with It got worse at the 12th as well with an out of bounds situation but we'll go on to that in a minute <laughs> I, th- I, th- I, think, I think like Guilty as charged, really. Um, and I think the worst bit about it was you um, you birdied that hole and went back, I think, to plus three at that point, and we had a real opportunity, and then we got to 12. Um, and you hit a lovely shot down 12, actually, into the fairway. Our playing partner, one of our playing partners, hit, hit a less than stellar shot. Um, and the referee, one of the roving referees, was a good friend of mine, called David Rishworth, PGA referee, lovely guy, really experienced ref. He had to, it was, the, the ball was so close to the out of bounds line and the fence that he had to get a ball of string out to measure between the posts to see whether the ball, any part of the ball was core side or not. And he said it was the first time in 20 years of refing that he'd ever had to do that. Well, of course, I saw the string, <laughs> I saw the string come out and I mean, it's not like red rag, it was more string to a ball, wasn't it? I, I, I was straight over there, I couldn't help myself help myself um and we and the ruling got the ruling happened and then um the really the really devastating part for tom and the really humiliating part for me was it's it's like de rigueur for referees to have a conversation about the ruling that's just been just been done so there we are apparently a gathering of ruling of referees is called a confusion there was certainly some confusion here as we were we were like dissecting this ruling and how rare it was and <laughs> I, turn, I turn around and Tom has got like his arms in the air going where are you get over here now I think I don't think I'd have minded it so much because like it was like quite an interesting ruling and all of that if that floats your boat it was more that it was like the second time in third hole three holes that I found myself in the middle of the fairway for like five minutes with literally nothing to do because I couldn't zap the flag I couldn't take a club out and do any swishes. I was literally just stood there thinking, this is good. Where's my caddy? Oh, there he is. He's over there doing something else entirely that's nothing to do with caddying. I thought you'd be like getting your zen together, calming yourself for the stiffest back six in West Yorkshire and Yorkshire and possibly English golf. But no, you were looking for an excuse because you were by that point about five over par. No, I wasn't. I was exactly three over par at that point, thank you. I know I wasn't because I've missed the put on the 11th. The, uh, but I mean, the thing, the thing what I was thinking was, in a minute, he's going to say, oh, 
we're a bit behind, we're going to get done for slow play here, and I'll be thinking, well, yeah, caused by having no golf equipment on two of the last three holes. Anyway, so that wasn't great. And then the crowning turd of this caddying performance was on the 15th, where I hit my one, ba- one sort of stylish shot of the day to about 12 feet to a very tight left-hand flag, and then you tried to take the credit. I mean, so I, I'd basically been a passenger for the whole day because, I mean, to be fair, like, I'm a increasing mid-handicapper with every round and Tom's a scratch player. I mean, there is, n- there is nothing that I can tell Tom about how to hit a downhill chip close to a green. I mean, you've just got to let him get on with it. Um, I also, he also didn't ask me for advice on any putts whatsoever. Just basically went on, did his own thing. I was a bag carrier, keep up, shut up. And then on the 15th, right? So he'd hit it down the left, but he was on the fairway. It's a lovely shot, actually. Prime position. And I'd been at the English Senior, um, which was also held at Old Woodley. I'd been part of the refing team a couple of weeks previously. And I'd seen all the old boys basically run the shot in. It was, I knew if you hit it pin high, it went over the back because it was firm and bouncy. So they'd all run it in short and then run it onto the middle of the green. So I imparted my pearls of wisdom onto Tom who then proceeded to completely ignore me by hitting it flag high in the air. Um, <laughs> the real problem was, as the ball was like sailing and I knew it wasn't going to bounce something, it was going to land on the green, I did sort of say to it, sit down, um, which is a prime error. It's an unforgivable error because you never talk disrespectfully to another player's ball. I've learned that too much. And there I am telling it to sit down <laughs> and the full expectation that he's going to be basically like, nearing the penalty area on the back of the green and instead what happened was it landed pin high spun and went to about eight feet um <laughs> and then and then i said i told you you should have done that i mean if you could see tom's face it's a shame this is not this is not video because he's like i've re i've reopened wounds here he's absolutely furious I think the, the whole experience was a bit like if you if you had like a really good invite to go to like a sort of dinner dance and you kind of carefully selected someone who you thought I know who I'd really like to take to, the, to be my date to this ball with me and I'd selected you to sort of get you inside the ropes at this kind of like invite only event and then as soon as we got there you like disappeared off to see who else you could talk to and it became very clear you weren't there for me at all you were just there for the occasion it was an absolute affront that's that's a stretching metaphor, but but I, I will allow it. Anyway, what 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 did you um, what, <laughs> what 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 did you shoot when we signed the scorecards? I shot eighty-two, Steve, which was precisely ten too many. Uh, to make matters worse, I then played golf about four more times that week and shot eighty-two on every single occasion. Suffice to say, I haven't really picked up a club since. But we have made it to the Open. Yes, we have, and here we are in the. Uh, awesome media center and it is enormous i mean the whole place like you 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 see other tournaments and you see other sporting events and i've been lucky in my career to go to a lot of sporting events cover a lot of big events but the open always feels to me like it's something different i mean you you probably can hear a lot of background noise that's because there are a lot of journalists here and it's monday the tournament doesn't even start until thursday and yet this place is pretty busy it's going to get busier soon it's its own sort of industry really its own sort of village um i'm trying to give you a sense of how big the media center is and it would probably take you about 
if you went into the cafes, well, it would probably take you about 60 seconds to walk it from front to back. It is absolutely massive. And it's only part of it here. I mean, it's all sorts in here, obviously. Cafe, big interview room, mix zone around the back. Everyone's got a desk. We've got a lovely, we've been given a lovely radio booth. Next to no laying, no laying up, celebrities. Celebrities. And we're, we're going to be here throughout the week and try and bring you um, some various podcasts with people. I know uh, our colleague Hannah Holden's got something lined up during the week. I'm hopefully going to be talking to a couple of the journos in here. Um, and we'll just try and give you a flavour of really of what, what the week is. And we, we've both, me and Tom, just arrived at Hoylake this morning, um, bedding down for a big week ahead. And we just wanted to give you a sense, not only of Tom's failure to get in this event, um, but just what it's like here and um, what we're seeing um, ahead of the championship on Thursday. Uh, it's quite the view actually from up here on this. I've never been in one of these booths before. I thought they were the sort of reserve of proper journalists, but apparently not. <laughs> so from, from our lofty position at the back of the media centre, I can see Ian Carter, John Huggan and Bill Elliott all within my peripheral vision. And if that's not any sort of measure of the status we've been afforded, I don't know what it is. Um, it is like absolutely incredible what a buzz this is every year. Like So we, we drove over the M62 this morning in the rain at, uh, six o'clock in the morning and this once we got out of the Mersey tunnel to get onto the Wirral uh, the sort of clouds sort of parted and the sun came out um, and it is such a sense of excitement in our industry about this event every single year so everybody meets up here in the week there's a ton of industry events um, there's a big Callaway do tonight and um, there's the, a big industry lunch on Wednesday the golf writers dinner tomorrow night which where a lot of the industry will meet at um, a pavilion on, on site here um, and then even just wandering around the golf course today for an hour, like when you're seeing these players on British soil and on links venues that you know so well, it's like, it's not jarring is the wrong word, but it's kind of, it's so comforting that these golf courses that you can come and play and that we've all struggled with, like everyone will have watched the Scottish Open yesterday and to, to watch them have to play that in the type of wind that always seems to blow when I visit a links course and to see the lads um, for the PGA Tour and from the, from the tours around the world today, um, at a venue that we that we all know, it's like it's pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I've been lucky enough to play this place. I'm sure a lot of you listening have as well. It's a fantastic course. We'll get on um, to bits and bobs of it uh, later on. But yeah, to I mean, I, I sort of walk outside and there's Rory McIlroy, um, and you know, you go a bit further down, oh, there's Shane Lowry, um, and you don't really see certainly on this side of the pond. Um, these enormous stars of golf everyone that you watch on TV and you sort of revere you don't see them really all together in any other event apart from this one and that's why it is as it calls itself the Open yeah and to think that they sometimes let people like me in incredible <laughs> did anyone actually make it through from um, regional to local someone did there's definitely someone who came through local as well as final Tiger Christensen maybe yeah, yeah. One or two do it every year, which is pretty bonkers. Um, so the golf course looks green, is the first thing I'd say. So we've had all of this dry spring, and a month ago everywhere was as bouncy as you like, and now all of a sudden we've got a green links course. Yeah, that, that, that's the big takeaway, I think, um, from my first... I mean, I've, I've been round a few... I've, I've sort of had a look at about five or six holes of the golf course so far. That's my big takeaway. I mean, you know, when I was doing... Uh, talks with people about this about a month ago and even just a couple of weeks ago everyone was talking about Hoylake being sort of like 
Tiger 2006 territory, and it's not. It's much, much greener than that. It's it's much more your sort of conventional open, and I think it's going to get greener as the week goes on. We know we've had bits of rain here um, this morning. There's rain forecast much of the week, so I think it's going to green up. I, if you um, have a look at the open betting tips piece, which which we've done for this week, I mean, I, I've said that is, is a really, really good thing for certain players in the field particularly one R. McElroy. I think the longer the golf course plays, the better it gets for him. Um, the wind was projected to be sort of reasonably strong on Sunday, but latest forecasts suggest that we might be in 2014 territory again. There is no wind here today. There's not a breath of it out there. Um, and it, it does feel to me like he's in great form does feel to me like I know Mickelson's I think the only player isn't he to have won the Scottish and the Open but it does feel like circumstances are aligning in favour of the Northern Irishman and we will get on to some tips later on because I'm going to ask Tom what I think who I think is going to win he'll probably ask me I've said it on record anyway so you can just go and read it but um, this is a golf course that sometimes gets a bit of stick doesn't it from purists and I, I, I love it here I've been to the Open here in 06 it was my first Open as a paying punter it was the first one I went to 06 obviously it was browner than you've ever seen anything before and Tiger absolutely destroyed the field um, well he didn't actually because McElroy um, Chris DeMarco pushed him quite close in the end but anyway he won and it was really emotional and so on and then 14 which was completely different but, but I love this golf course I think it's got quite a lot of secrets to tell um, it's very interesting in many ways and it's not uh, worthy I think of some of the oh it's flat criticism that it gets I think um, it's open venues are strange aren't they because there's a lot of love for the spectacular open venues that like we haven't been to Turnbury since I think 2009 um, and it's obviously hugely spectacular it's an easy, easy place to love apart from its ownership perhaps um, and the same is true of two or three others, like Burtdale's massive, great big dunes, and I think people kind of, uh, it's a, it, it's an easy place to like visually, um, and it's kind of got that sort of immediacy of sense that some people require. Same is true of Port Rush, same is true of St George's. Um, the old course has obviously got huge amounts of history, and it's always very special going to St Andrews. Muirfield, I think, is kind of revered as being one of the architecturally the best golf courses in the world. Um, and then I guess you get into kind of um, places where uh, people find harder to like, so perhaps a Lytham or Carnoustie, and I think Hoylake probably falls into that that kind of golf course. Where if you spoke to a golfing purist, I think they would probably they would vouch for a Lytham or a Carnoustie, and I think I, I think that that Hoylake falls in line with that. It's 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 a strange course in the sense that a lot of people have have worked on it from an architectural point of view. It's somewhere that's not been a, a afraid to kind of change things um, and evolve. A lot of the holes have changed. We've got a brand new hole this year. The routing changes, um, and some people are perhaps would regard that regard that as a little bit of a weakness. Um, I guess the other thing about it is when people say it's flat, so the the kind of bulk of the golf course used to be a racetrack kind of 150 years ago. So you do, ha you do have this very flat section around the practice area, um, which also brings in internal out-of-bounds, which people aren't big fans of. Um, but if you look at the list of winners here, like it's absolutely spectacular. The last two were um, the two of the best golfers of the last 30 years. So there's no doubt that it kind of brings the cream to the top. Um, winners of that pedigree don't have bad golf courses No and just to you've talked obviously about the most recent two but Di Vincenzo is quite a good player 
Peter Thompson knew how to win an Open. Bobby Jones won here on his way to the Grand Slam in 1930. I mean, um, just, I mean, you can go back some of the most prestigious early professionals, one of the most prestigious amateurs in the history of the game have won here, won the Open, uh, won here, sorry. It's, um, it's a course that separates wheat from chaff, I think, and, and, and that's what you want a championship golf course to do. You don't want a, oh God, I'm going to say it, Anna. You don't want a Todd, you don't want a Ben. You want a Rory, you want a Tiger, you want, you know, you want that, that top player in the world. You know, maybe this week you'd want a Xander Schauffele, you know, you'd want, um, you'd want a sort of uh, Ricky Fowler if you could possibly get it. I mean, that we'll talk about Ricky later, I think. But I want, you want a big name to, to, to do, to get the Claret Jug here. And that's what this tournament here has always provided. Yeah, they have, yeah. And it's like the last, the last two, I mean... Well done for showing off about your uh, Open winners at Hoylake. Uh, I, I, I was trying to get early history and then I ran out of steam. So I think I'll just stick with the last two. I'm on quite safe ground there, although I have heard of Bobby Jones. Um, so the, the, uh, the, um, the, the last two have been extreme weather, if you remember. So everyone remembers Hoylake's, uh, sorry, Tiger's win in 06 when it was like properly baked, uh, didn't hit a driver all week, tiptoed between the bunkers. Um, it was just, I mean, that when you think of an open, you think of that kind of thing, don't you? You think of that particular like dust bowl sort of open. The last one here, it was a, basically a downpour, and if you remember, they actually suspended play on the Saturday for rain, which is like a pretty spectacular thing to do. And I was looking at the weather this week. I was also at um, Birkdale in two thousand and nine, or possibly seven when Harrington won and it was very very rainy that week as well and it sort of feels that we might get that kind of week which is going to be damp rather than bouncy I was reading um, some American output on Twitter saying we're going to get kind of proper open weather but I'm not sure that a 10 mile an hour wind and a soft course really cuts it No and I don't think it'll cut it for the Hoylake members either I mean the, the I was chatting to some people around the club chatting to Sam Cooper um, last week you can um, you can have a listen to our podcast it's the most recent one prior to this one as he talks about some of the holes at Hoylake and one of the things I think they want is the course to be the course that they play um, week in week out and it hasn't been in 06 or 14 that is not the Hoylake that um, that they know the Hoylake that they know blows it's windy and the wind forms a lot of the defence I mean we, we talk about some of the specific holes but um I've written a piece about uh, internal out of bounds here, which comes into play on the third and the 18th. That second shot on the 18th, if you need to hit it and it's blowing across, that out internal out of bounds line is not very far off the fairway. Um, but if it's flat calm, it'll never come into play. It'll just be it'll just be easily handled. So. I think what everyone wants, what the members definitely want, and I think what we want as well. I mean, like you were talking earlier about the Scottish Open yesterday. That was epic golf watching on Sunday, and it was epic because it was 35 mile an hour winds, and the ball was blown all over the place. And you know, could Rory handle it? And it turned out he could. But you know, Bob McIntyre, absolute specialist in those conditions, produced a remarkable final round, and they produced that because of the weather, because that course to the professionals when it's calm is nothing. It's a blow easy eight under nine under par course um, if the wind's not up and and that's what I want to see this week I'm not sure we're forecast it but with any luck we'll get a blowy open and we'll see some carnage on some of these um, very interesting holes 
I'm not, I'm not sure it's so much carnage that you want to see. It's just you want to see people using skills they don't necessarily have to use the, the rest of the time. I think that Scottish Open Sunday, I mean, it just brings players in who kind of need that kind of extra challenge to thrive. Lowry's like the best example, isn't it? You sort of think he's kind of got this game which is basically major championship worthy. Obviously, he's won an Open, but you kind of feel that he needs like something in the air to give him a chance. Like some of us backed Harrington uh, outsider on Sunday because you just think there's there's so few that can that can deal with it. Now, hands up, I was watching the finish uh, yesterday afternoon and thinking, well, right, Rory's got no chance there. He's got no track record in the wind. None whatsoever. Terrible bad weather player historically. And like, I'm not sure I've seen two better iron shots in a row than he on 17 and 18. And I'll go go as far to say as the one on 17 was probably better than the one on 18 albeit it was a shorter club it was Radar commentating on Sky saying he's just going to send this up to the moon to try and stop it by that front flag and he didn't he like proper crafted it in off the right it was absolutely brilliant shot and like just not the sort of thing you see him hit, you, you see him hit very often so that is like exciting if, you, if you're going to see players having to battle that sort of thing this week then bring it on I mean I, I didn't think Rory had that shot in his locker I just didn't think he did, and if he hadn't won last week, if he, if Bob had just pipped him, um, I mean, I am all over him for this Open anyway, and you might look at that and go, oh, you've picked the favourite, what a surprise, how daring of you, I, I appreciate that, but I felt, I wrote that piece about betting on Friday, and I felt there were compelling reasons for picking Rory, not just the fact that this is probably the scene of his, arguably his greatest triumph, because this is the major that nobody thought he could win, all right, conditions helped him a little bit that week. Um, but his form is unbelievable. I mean, his form was unbelievable. Now it's even got better um, with him prevailing at Renaissance. So uh, some people won't back him now because he won last week and they'll be afraid to because people don't necessarily win back-to-back. But there are plenty of examples of people winning back-to-back. And I sort of look at the way he played the back nine at Renaissance and think, who's going to stop him here? Chef, uh, Scheffler, maybe because Scheffler was in the frame again, wasn't he? And Shoffley uh, is obviously quite good at Renaissance. He's quite good in these conditions as well. But I just thought, like, yesterday he, he had all the things that you question McElroy for, all the things that you'd say he can't win. And when he, when he sort of had that two or three-hole spell on, 13 and 14, I think those were the holes, where he then slipped two out of the lead. I thought, here we go, McElroy can't play in the wind again. And he answered those questions phenomenally well. Um, who do you think is going to do it this week? Well, you say who, who's going to stop McElroy, and the answer to that question is always McElroy, isn't it? Like he needs to get out of his own way. Um, but the um, yeah, that what he, what he did yesterday, I would still rather him have seen him birdie the par five and like claw it back in a more traditional sense rather than hitting those worldy shots at the end. But I think he basically said it himself in his interview afterwards that he kind of proven to himself quite a few things that he's got it in his locker to get over the line the quality of the shots he hit under the gun like I think that meant quite a lot to him coming in this week um, so obviously I was sat there thinking oh please don't let him win please don't let him win it's just going to mount the pressure up um, but it was like it, brilliant that he's arriving um, with those sort of vibes as it were um, so I've got a betting system as you well know in majors which is entirely foolproof apart from when it doesn't work um, when they're always mitigating factors um, so you have to back someone who is in the world top 50 um, so this is a problem for Liv because they're not in the world top 50 so they've cocked my betting system up um, you have to have won in the last 12 months 
tend to discount sort of box office bets. So anyone who's like daft short odds, like I think Macroy's like eight to one or something, isn't he? It's too short. Um, and ideally they will have won a major, i.e. demonstrated they can get over the line. And even better if they've won this particular major at some point in the past. Now you might think this sort of thing sounds obvious, but it does, doesn't half whittle people down quite quickly. So the last few, for the US Open and for the Masters, and for the PGA in fact, I backed Rose and Rose gave me a run for my money in all of those events. The Masters was a bit of a punt because he was sort of in not in great form at that point, but he's obviously got a great Masters record. He's won the AT&T this year. Conditions aren't going to bother him if it's a bit squally, um, and there's nothing in his form that shows that um, he's any worse now than when the, PG when the PGA was on. So I would say that if you're looking for a sort of sensible price, then Rose is not a bad shout. Yeah. Um, you've got to go to a meeting shortly, so we're going to have to we're going to have to cut this short. But I didn't want to be able to go before we talked about the new hole. Um, I don't know if you've seen it yet. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. But I went up there, and it's a phenomenal view. I mean, I've played that hole. I messed it up, um, but I mess up a lot of holes. What's new there? Um, but I went up there, and there's, they've put a grandstand around it, so it's kind of like the 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 the, the teeing area is surrounded on all sides by like a really tight grandstand feels like players are going to hit through a funnel and then there's a smaller grandstand on the right hand side of the hole basically immediately above that big huge bunker on the right hand side and I just it's not very often in I've, I've done a lot of these tournaments now and it's not very often that I get somewhere and I go holy moly um, which is what I did when I climbed up the stairs and I saw that hole and um, they've done I think I mean I know it's got its detractors. I know some of the members don't like it because if you're 800 trying to hit up that hill, then it it really is a it is really a problem to try and get elevated flight when you hit a lower ball. Um, but given that they wanted to produce something that was going to be dramatic, um, to then have a long par five as well that again with the out of bounds on the right potentially produces something dramatic. I think I, I wrote about this a lot, but to see that hole in context with everything around it. Um, it, it, it doesn't say anything to me, but there's going to be massive drama there at some point during the week. And I can't wait. I, 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 I'm trying to write a colour piece at some point from there, go and spend half an hour and see what happens. I fear I might have to queue up very, very early to get a spot there. I mean, what are your thoughts on the brand new 17th? Um, so it hasn't met with universal approval, has it? Um, which is an interesting thing. Like, it's obviously a huge change, brand new hole for the Open Championship. Um, it's a par three, like as in, so that's interesting as well. Like it's when you think about um, big changes that courses have made, kind of because of the Open or to accommodate the Open. Like you think of the 17th green at Burtdale, which was remodelled and was very sort of extreme at the back. I think eventually they softened it off after the Championship. Um, so I mean, the the very the very fact of like putting in a new hole ostensibly for a Championship is like. It's a bit like when FIFA introduced new football at the World Cup, isn't it? Like you don't quite know what you're going what to expect from it. Um, by all accounts, it's like creates like a sort of stadium effect, and you're hitting kind of out of a, a tunnel of grandstands. Um, and I think from people who've played it a lot, they're saying that it is very extreme. Like there's a bunker that you can't see on the right. Um, some people have said to me they think that might end up being grassed over after the championship because it's that extreme. Um, but I think to have something that can create drama late on. Um, has got to be a good thing. I mean, if you think about finishes at Opens, like they tend to be very sort of worthy um, par fours that 
I guess these days that people can dominate through distance to have something that tests the nerve like a par three does to have something in the way you know your short games can be tested if you miss the green then that's what we want to see late on isn't it um, and it makes for a very sort of sporty finish here where you've kind of got all sorts of drama with a 3-5 finish best week of the year isn't it looking looking forward to it um, Sunday feels a long way away at the moment on Monday but it soon gets here I mean it, this is like everything we're in the industry for isn't it I mean basically yeah it's, it's it's kind of so. This is my, uh, I think, eleventh open in the golf industry, um, and it is, I think, the biggest privilege to come to to come here and sort of be in some way part of the scene, um, be able to get inside the ropes to a to a certain degree, and um, to kind of live and breathe the build up as sort of close to it as you can do. Like it's it's absolutely amazing, um, and I will sort of make a point of going and walking most of the course on Thursday to get an idea about how it's playing I'm going to bring my kids back at the weekend I think um, to have a look at the golf on Saturday so you might have to top and tail with Joseph if there's no room in the flat uh, and I think I really want to do that because like it's 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 a massive like I took my little boy to watch England France at rugby and I'm not a huge rugby fan but it's just a massive occasion isn't it and that's the same with this it's like these sporting occasions on in in Britain are few and far between so I think anyone who can come get down here and take a look at it then do so yeah, we're going to enjoy it. Um, every minute of it. Hopefully you will stay with us as well and enjoy it too. Uh, please check out our open coverage on nationalclubgolfer.com. We've got a lovely new website for you to um, peruse everything that we're going to be doing this week. We're going to be doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, check out um, the rules, inside the rules. Um, going to, we'll be in the shop. We'll be in the bar. We're going to be everywhere. Everywhere where you're going to be or could be, we're hoping to be this week and obviously we'll bring you the best action and the best news from the players as well so um, please subscribe to this podcast I know we've been away for a while but but stick with us please start listening again <laughs> and um, we'll be back very soon Tom um, have a good week and um, yeah let's uh, let's hope Rory does it on Sunday thank you Steve you've got me even more excited than I was before what a mate see you later on <laughs>